wonderful to see everybody uh, today. We are going to pick up where we kind of uh, left off last week, and we're talking about science in the Bible. If you have uh, your cell phone, if you could take your cell phone out, take your cell phone, hold it up, be proud, be bold, hold your cell phone out. Now silence it, if you will, but, but please keep it on. We want you to take a look at this number right here. This number here, we want you to text questions to that number uh, during the message here over the next 20 minutes. If you will text questions as we talk about science and the Bible, we have somebody that's going to be reading all of those text messages, and he's going to be kind of putting them together, and then I'm going to stop early today, and we're just going to boom, right? We're going to, we're going to try to answer some questions as best we can. So we're getting up with the 21st century, and you can just text your question right in, and then we're going to read that question out and do our best to answer this. All right. So like I said, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, the message entitled Science in the Bible. And the question that we left off with last week was, science in the Bible, do they fit or do they fight? Do they fit with each other or do they fight with each other? And what we began to talk about last week was, is they fit and they fit incredibly well, now, let me first let me say this. I don't have all the answers uh, to this, uh, not even close. Whether we're talking about science or we're talking about the Bible, I'm a long way, so please understand that. But I also want to say those people who have tremendous, tremendous knowledge and learning on the Bible or tremendous knowledge and learning on science don't have all the answers either. I mean, there was a time about 40, 50 years ago, and I think Bertrand Russell made a comment about 70-some years ago that, boy, you know, we just know so much from science, and it's proven this about the Bible or that about the Bible. And if you know Bertrand Russell, he's a philosopher, and he was an atheist. Well, in the past 40 years, here's what the deal is. Knowledge, scientific knowledge, has absolutely exploded. It's exploded to the point that when we write a textbook today, before the ink even dries on that textbook, we have learned a whole lot more new that probably changes what went into that textbook. That's what the explosion has been. And that explosion of knowledge has done one big thing. It's pointed us towards God. That's what it's done. So we're going to try to tackle this issue if we can uh, this morning. I want to remind you of a couple different scripture verses we talked about last week. We talked about Timothy where it says, that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, should study and study hard to show ourselves approved. Peter says it this way. He says, we should always be ready to give an answer to the hope that is within us. And one of the areas that we need to be ready to give an answer is the area of science. And I talked about last week the fact that scientifically, science, the study, the method of going about science and the method of going about theology is completely the same. You have logic. You have reason, you have evidence, and you have hypothesis. We call that in theology faith. They're both the exact same things. Okay, let's pray, and let's just jump all over this thing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this world. Two absolutely incredible things that we have. Gifts from you, in my opinion. And uh, Lord, you see where all of us come here today, the thoughts that are going through our minds, what we're experiencing, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would guide us uh, in these next few moments, and I ask this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, science and the Bible, they fit or they fight. Albert Einstein, pretty smart guy, said, science without religion is lame, religion without science 
is blind. The roots of Christianity, which we only touched briefly on last week, and we will just touch very briefly uh, again on now, the roots of Christianity is that the Christian church was a leader in scientific study. That has been the roots. Now, that hasn't been the case recently. There is this feeling as if there is some kind of massive conflict. I get that all the time. There's this massive conflict. Even in some Christian churches, they want to turn away from science, like vilify science. But there is some kind of conflict that seemingly is going on between God and science, or the Bible and science. And there's probably reasons for that, but it's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely 100% ridiculous. You want to go back to the roots of the Christian church. You want to look at the great scientists. You could name name after name after name. I talked about Kepler last week. We can talk about Galileo, Newton, Descartes. We, the list could go on and on and on. These guys, the church, leaders in the church, were leaders in scientific study. Those are our roots. Charles Darwin, in his book, The Origin of Species, included a quote from Francis Bacon. You would think Charles Darwin? Yes, Darwin. Here's what he put in as the lead-in to chapter number one of his book, The Origin of Species. It's on the screen. It's on your blue uh, book. Let me read it to you. To conclude, therefore, let no man out of weak conceit of sobriety or an ill-applied moderation think or maintain that a man can search too far or be too well studied in the book of God's word. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Bible. Or in the book of God's work, what's he's talking about? Creation, the natural world. Divinity or philosophy, but rather let men endeavor in endless progress or proficience in both, in both things. So a lot of times when Darwin is brought up, people say, oh, Darwin and his theories up that like totally disprove God. That's not what Darwin was after. Darwin apparently was a believer in God. There's a person here in our congregation, Paul Perry, whose college professor wrote a book, Darwin's God. Darwin was Anglican. And so all the signs we have is that he was a believer, which is probably why he put this quote in there. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Robert Boyle. Anybody ever heard of Boyle's Law? Anybody here ever Boyle's Law? Okay. We got a couple people with that background that heard of Boyle's Law. This guy was considered the first modern chemist. Man, he, was, uh, he just logged the study of chemistry and science, but he was like a full-blown, over-the-top Christian. Like, this guy would say things... Uh, like, he would say, a scientist, this is the way he, 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 he drew the, he said, a scientist in his laboratory doing research and study is just like a priest in the temple burning incense to God. He encouraged people, Christians, he said, of all days to do scientific work, every day is a good day, but Sunday is the best day. Because Sunday is the day in which when you study science, it increases your devotion and your understanding of God and of Christianity Please do scientific study on Sundays. There's the roots of the Christian church. Leaders in all that. And I could go on and on with Robert Boyle in quotes that he made. What we see is that the Bible tells us that creation is pointing us towards God. Psalm 19 says the heavens are telling us of the glory of God. Romans chapter 1 says it this way. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that he has made. That's what the Bible says about that. I want to show you just a brief clip of uh, a person who's probably considered uh, the most well-known atheist of our day, Richard Dawkins, author of The God Delusion. And, uh, well, let's just watch a clip and we'll go from there. 
Well, then who did create the heavens and the earth? Why do you use the word who? You see, you, you, you immediately beg the question by using the word who. Well, then how did it get created? Well, um, by a very slow process. Well, how did it start? Nobody knows how, how it started. We know the kind of event that it must have been. We know the sort of event that, that must have happened for the origin of life. And what was that? It was the origin of the first self-replicating molecule. Right. How did that happen? I told you we don't know. So you have no idea how it started? No, no. No, no nor has anybody. Nor has anyone else. What do you think is the possibility that there, that intelligent design might turn out to be uh, the answer to some issues in uh, genetics or in Darwin well, evolution? It could come about in the following way. It could be that uh, at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization e evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this, this planet. Um, now, th that is a possibility and an intriguing possibility. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the, um, at the detail, details of biochemistry, molecular biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer. Wait a second. Richard Dawkins thought intelligent design might be a legitimate pursuit? Um, and that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. Well, but that uh, higher intelligence would itself have had to have come about by some explicable or ultimately explicable process. It couldn't have just jumped into existence spontaneously. That's the point. So Professor Dawkins was not against intelligent design just certain types of designers, such as God. So the, the Hebrew God, the God of the Old Testament, he doesn't exist in your view? Um, certainly, I mean, that would be a very unpleasant pro prospect. And uh, the Trin Holy Trinity of the no, New Testament? Nothing, nothing like that. Do you believe in any of the uh, Hindu gods? Like Vishnu? How can you ask such a question? You don't, how, right? how could I? I mean, why, why would I, given that I don't believe in any others? You don't believe in the Muslim God? No. And why do you even need to ask? Well, I just wanted to be sure. So you don't believe in any god anywhere? Any god anywhere would be completely incompatible with 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 anything that I've said. In, in, I, I assume. Yeah. I, I just wanted to make sure you don't believe in any god anywhere. No. What if you, if after you died, you ran into God? He said, what have you been doing, Richard? I mean, what have you been doing? I've been trying well, to be nice to you. Yeah. I gave you a multi-million dollar paycheck yeah. over and over again with your book, and look what you did. Bertrand Russell was, had that point put to him, and he said um, something like, Sir, why did you take such pains to hide yourself? If there was an answer, everybody, to the origin of life, he would have given it, right? He, if anybody, he would have given it. There is no answer to the origin of life. What I find fascinating in that interview is what he is saying is, is that um, there is a designer. There is, he says, probably some super intellect. Now, where did that super intellect come from? You know, does that have a, that have a story? What I think is fascinating, though, is he's willing to say, Aliens could have created our universe, but it couldn't be God. Now that, that that's fascinating. Now here here's the thing. Why? Why is he willing to say it's aliens, but there's absolutely no way possible it could be God? What, what's the what's the big leap? What's the big difference? Now, I want to say this. 
and then I'm going to go back to this whole scientific thing. But I just want to get this in before we get our, our engines rolling. A lot of times I talk to people who totally disbelieve in God. They call themselves atheists, and they're very adamant about it. And though the words coming out of their mouth and entering into my ears say, I don't believe in God, what my heart hears is, I really want to believe in God. I do, underneath all of this, believe in God. But my heart has been so wounded, I'll never admit to it. Where do those wounds come from? A lot of times these things are heart issues. They've been wounded by somebody who does believe in God. They've been wounded by somebody who is possibly a follower of Christ. Maybe somebody has done something to hurt somebody else. Maybe somebody came along and when they were young and maybe they were Richard Dawkins. I don't know this. I'm just, this is all hypothetical. Maybe he came along and Dawkins was asking all kinds of scientific questions. And maybe in his church they said, don't ask those questions. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Okay? I just want to throw that out there to you. There is tremendous evidence, scientific evidence, everybody, scientific evidence that shows that this universe that we live in has been guided by someone or something. Tremendous scientific evidence. All right? And when people say they absolutely refuse to believe it, is there a reason why? What's going on behind that? All right. Now, I want you to be a detective. Anybody ever wanted to be a detective at some point in your life? Do you like CSI? CSI people? No? You all hate it? Okay. Sherlock Holmes? Don't like Sherlock Holmes? You know who I always wanted to be? Columbo. I want to be Columbo. You know the way that Columbo with the jacket and everything? I like that. So I want you to think of yourselves as you're trying to solve a mystery. What do detectives do? How do they solve their mysteries? How do they figure out the crime or come to the answer they're looking for? They look for logic. They look for reason. They look for evidence. Look for evidence. What does scientific evidence show us? What does it show us? This is what we're about. First of all, first thing we know is from a biblical standpoint, just from a biblical standpoint, we covered this uh, over the past couple weeks, is that the Bible, as a piece of literature, as a piece of ancient literature, is unparalleled in its reliability. I'm not talking content. Can you follow me? I'm not talking content. I'm talking about just looking at all pieces of ancient literature. How do we know what happened in the history in the past? The Bible is unparalleled, and that's a fact. That's not John the pastor. That's simply factual information I'm giving you. Unparalleled. We know that piece. Second piece is this. The science gives us tremendous, overwhelming, and in increasing way evidence for somebody is guiding the process of the creation of this universe. All right. Last week I made the statement that biology classes seem to churn out lots of atheists. Because what happens, we go to biology cast, particularly in the past, all right, if you're as old as me, um, you go to it and you hear about things like the Miller experiment, where this guy Miller, back in 1953, uh, stuck uh, ammonia, methane, and water vapor, and he hit it with some sparks to replicate lightning bolts, and he got the building blocks of life out of that. Now, we hear stuff like this, ah, okay, well, then that didn't, that didn't take God. God's out, God's out of a job, so God must not exist. Now, what we know ever since the 1960s is that Miller's experiment was totally flawed. It was not the makeup of the early world. The world was not made up. The universe was not made up of ammonia, methane, and water vapor back then. We know that. Here's my only problem. Here's my only problem with this, is that seemingly nobody stood up on the rooftops and said, oh, hey, everybody, we got it wrong. This guy was wrong. No, it, 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 that's just me as a layman who knows absolutely nothing. It didn't feel like somebody got up on top of the roof and said, we got that wrong. We just want everybody to clear on that, that it was flawed. All scientists, 
There's no legitimate scientist out there that would say Miller's experiment is valid. I can't, I can't, I can't find one. And that, I, that, that kind of stuff. Darwin's tree of life. So then we read about Darwin, and he makes his tree of life. Now, what is the theory behind that? Darwin's theory behind that is we all came from one common ancestor, and over many billions of years, there was this gradual process of kind of, you know, climbing out of the primordial soup, and then, you know, one thing after another leads to, and eventually, here we got, we got human beings, and it happened over billions of years. Darwin knew that his, the fossil records did not support his claims. He knew that in his lifetime, and we definitely know that now. What the fossil records show us is, is that here we go, here's life, here's life in Darwin's, it should go like this. And here's the way the fossil record goes, like this. All sudden was this. Now, what's fascinating, everybody, is this. Here's the fascinating thing, is that if you read through the book of Genesis on this whole subject, when you read through it, it says there was a certain order in creation that was going on. So Darwin says that there were sea creatures, and then there was land animals, and then there was human beings. What is the order of creation in the book of Genesis? Sea creatures, land animals, and human beings. And what's fascinating to me about that whole thing is how did the Bible 4,000 years ago get the order of creation right because it totally syncs up with the fossil record. Is that amazing or what? How could a piece of ancient literature be so far ahead of its time to understand the fossil record in Genesis chapter 1? So things like that is absolutely astounding. Now, from Aristotle all the way to Einstein, people felt, Aristotle felt this way, Einstein felt this way, that the universe was eternal and it was constant. It was unchanging. They did not change. Uh, scientists came along by the name of Lemaitre, and Lemaitre said, no, 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 no. The universe had a starting point. And Einstein, the smartest guy in the room, said, that's crazy. You're ridiculous. And he, and he, and he ridicules him a little bit for his claims and his beliefs about this unchanging universe. Well, Lemaitre finds out that Einstein and a guy by the name of Edwin Hubble, you're probably familiar with that name, Edwin Hubble, he hears that these two guys are going to be in California. So this guy goes out there because he wants to present his argument uh, to the two of them. So he goes out there, he presents the argument, and Einstein reacts this way. He says, and I have it, it's quoted on, your, uh, on the screen or on your program. He says, that was the most beautiful and satisfying interpretation I have ever listened to. Einstein goes on to say that his idea of the universe being eternal was the biggest blunder that he had ever made in his career. Now we have established this. Scientifically, we have established this. The universe had a starting point. Had a starting point. And in the past 40 years, we've been able to run these models and to try to figure all this out. And what we've realized is this. There was nothing. So if you're looking at a line in sand, scientists will tell you there was nothing. And we can't tell you anything about nothing. There was just nothing. And all of a sudden, there was something. And the something happened so quick. It was 10 to the 43rd power of a second. So that's like really super quick. Does that make sense? And then all of a sudden there was something. And the something that existed was this universe. And the universe was smaller than an atom. And that atom was nothing but pure energy in which no matter existed whatsoever. Now here's the really cool thing. You went from absolute nothingness to something existed in a moment's time. Genesis chapter 1, God spoke. Bam! And it happened that quickly. The most widely held belief today is the Big Bang Theory amongst scientists. And it totally syncs up with the Bible. Now here's where it gets even better. 
within the first second of the creation of the universe, what science tells us is, is that the universe had to make major adjustments, had to make major adjustments in what it was doing or it would no longer exist. Okay? So what we have here, I got some quotes for you on this one. Fred Hoyle says this about the universe and it's moving forward. He says, the universe has to know in advance what it is going to be before it knows how to start itself. Does that blow your mind or what? This universe, right, was thinking. It had to think. It had to make adjustments or it would no longer exist. How did it do that? How did it make those leaps? Stephen Hawking says this about it. He says, why did the universe start out with so nearly the critical rate of expansion that separates models that recollapse from those that go on expanding forever? So that even now it is still expanding at that critical rate. If the rate of expansion was one, if the rate of expansion one second, everybody, after the Big Bang had been smaller, or even by one part in a hundred thousand million, the universe would have recollapsed before before it ever reached its present state. What does logic tell us when you read statements like that? That there was nothing, absolutely nothing, and then all of a sudden there was something, and the something that existed had to change and adjust severely in order for us to get to the point that we are. That someone, something, some being, some intellect is guiding the process and that being had to be eternal. Fred Hoyle, an astronomer, once again, he's the guy that coined the term Big Bang and when he coined it, it was said in derision. He was, he was condescending when he coined the term, but it stuck, kind of like the word Christian stuck because when the word Christian was first issued in uh, the book of Acts, it was said as uh, um, a ridicule. Anyway, this is the guy. He says, A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as, the, well, as well as the chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me to be so overwhelming as to put this conclusion beyond question. Listen to this, everybody. A slower or faster rotation of the earth would eliminate life. A smaller or larger earth would eliminate life. A smaller or larger moon would eliminate life. A thicker or thinner crust, not talking about pizza, a thicker or thinner crust would eliminate life. A lesser or greater ratio of oxygen to nitrogen would eliminate life. A lesser or greater amount of ozone would eliminate life. How does all that happen? Where do all those clues lead us to? If you are a detective and you're given a case, and the case is this, you've got to go out and you've got to figure out how somebody has won the lottery every single week for the past 30 years. Do you walk into that case saying to yourself, this thing is rigged? Would you do that? Or would you say, oh man, well they just beat the odds. For 30 years, every week for the past 30 years, they just beaten the odds. The odds of somebody winning the lottery every single week for 30 years pale in comparison to the odds of the universe just kind of happening without somebody guiding the process. So we use our minds, we use our reason, and we say there's got to be something more to this. It can't just happen randomly. And that's what scientific study has done in the past 40 years. So do they fit or do they fight? I want to go back to this again. The history of the Christian church is that was in the, it was up at the front of the bus in scientific study. 
And for the past 100 to maybe 200 years, for some reason, it got off the bus. Not 100%, but a lot of it, a lot of the church got off the bus. Those are not our roots. Those are not our roots. And all that needs to change, needs to change drastically. Uh, I think one of the reasons today that 40% of American scientists believe in a personal God is the overwhelming scientific evidence that points to somebody guiding the process of creation, the creation of the universe. Anthony Flew, who before Dawkins was probably the foremost atheist in the world for all of his life, when he got to the age of 80, he read a book by Gerald Schroeder called The Science of God. You might want to mark that down. There's lots of room for you to write stuff down. Listen, I want to say this again. You're, if you're all bought into Jesus here today, if you're all bought into Jesus, then Jesus commands us through his scriptures to take advantage of all the very easy tools that are right at our simple little fingertips. He commands us, study to show yourself approved. This stuff is easy. If a guy like me in the past six weeks could learn as little much as I have that has totally, I mean, this has been one of the greatest faith-building exercises that I've done in the past six weeks of my life is scientific study because all of it's pointing with like two hands, God, he exists in the reliability of his scriptures. We have to do that. Anthony Flew reads this book by Gerald Schroeder who is a theologian and an MIT graduate, The Science of God. And he says, you know what? The, 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 science, the scientific study is overwhelming. I can no longer be an atheist. I am forced to longer be an atheist because of what the scientific study has shown me. It's absolutely incredible. There's a couple other, um, can we pull up that? I have uh, two other ones here that I, I want to encourage you to read. It's called Who Made the Moon? Uh, and also, excellent book. Um, it's good for anybody, but uh, somebody asked the question in the first service, you know, if I'm a parent and I'm trying to help uh, out with my kids, who should I, who made the moon is excellent, and it's not just for kids, but it's written in a way that's very understandable. I want to encourage you to, to text your messages in if you're getting ready to go to Q&A, so if you have a question. Science and Religion, the John Hopkins, uh, the John Hopkins lecture series also is absolutely excellent. You can pick it up at your local library. I got it at Fairfax County Library for free. And it is incredible about the roots of Christianity in science. I want to conclude before we go into Q&A and read you a quote from Francis Collins, who is the director of NIH, formerly of the Human Genome Project. He said, It is time to call a truce in the escalating war between science and spirit. The war was never really necessary. Like so many earthly wars, this one was initiated by extremists on both sides, sounding alarms that predict imminent ruin unless the other side is vanquished. Science is not threatened by God, it is enhanced. God most certainly is not threatened by science, he made it all possible. Let us together seek to reclaim the solid ground of an intellectually and spiritually satisfying synthesis of all great truths. Okay, there we go. Uh, and we left enough time. So I'm going to invite Ryan Bracken, if he'd come up. All those questions that you've been shooting, they, they've been going to uh, Ryan. And so he's compiling a bunch of stuff together. Which microphone should we use, Mike? The floor one? Okay. How about a round of applause for Ryan Bracken? Before he begins, I'm going to remind you, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in this, okay? I'm just going to do my best, please. And I've done my best to sort of... Uh, a lot of questions. You guys did a great job. Uh, try to put them uh, questions into categories and capture them as well as I can. So if yours is not in there, hopefully in some sense it's in there in spirit. So we'll do our best. Okay. Was the Genesis account figurative or literal? 
you know, it, it, it's, it's literal if you understand it right. That's an excellent question. So if I could, you know, if I wanted to clarify, I'll just take an attempt at clarifying the question, all right, myself, because I think I know where it's coming from. I'll take a stab at it. I think what the question is, is it figurative or literal, are there six 24-hour days in which the world was created, which either points to a young earth or an old earth, right? All right. Let's go back to our Christian roots. Let's go back to what did we believe in. And I'm going to try, if I start getting way off crazy, just pull me back. Sure. Okay? There's a lot to be said about this. Our Christian roots is that we do not believe in six 24-hour days of creation. That's the root. Where did the six 24-hour day thing come from? When did this become really big? It came to pass in the early 1900s. Okay? When America socially, this is social driven. We're allowing social things to drive our theology, and that is completely not right. So America was rapidly changing. People were fearful of the rapid change. They said, you know what? Let's go back to our roots. Let's, and the most popular song of the day in, that, in churches were, give me that old-time religion. Right? And people says, well, what we used to believe, we used to believe it was 24 hours a day, just like the Bible said it. Augustine, back in the 4th, 5th uh, century, Augustine said, who... He's the greatest theologian that, that we've had, arguably, in the Christian church outside the Apostle Paul. He said he interpreted the Bible literally, and he says, no, the Bible is not trying to say there were six 24-hour days, everybody. So um, you would be hard-pressed. A, a, a literal interpretation is not suggesting that. Now, we could go on forever, but again, I just want to point out that we can't allow what's happening socially to kind of drive our theology, and that's what happened surrounding the early 1900s and the Scopes Monkey Trial, because that whole thing was social-driven. Do, do you think that, that was right? Yeah, that's great. And can I, can I ask a, sort of a follow-up? This is part of another question. Uh, so do you believe we can reconcile the scientific and biblical perspectives on the age of the earth? I think we can take a stab at it. Uh, I think we I think we should keep trying to learn and to grow. Nobody, if anybody tells you they've got Genesis, you know, chapter one figured out, or they got science completely figured out, well, man, just run, because we don't. Uh, we're trying to understand more and more every, every day. I love this Galileo. He said this. Um, he said our literal interpretation. He wanted to uphold. A lot of people think that oh, Galileo didn't believe in God. No, no. Galileo was full-blown in on it with the church and the literal interpretation of the Bible. And he said scientific study would help us to interpret the Bible literally. I thought that was powerful. What was your question? <laughs> can we reconcile the scientific and biblical yeah, perspectives? I think we can kick the ball down the field a little bit farther. And uh, Ryan, Ryan, who this is his hobby. So if you have any deeper questions after this over, you need to come and talk to Ryan. I'll be running we, out the back. We got, we got together this week, and we talked so much about this. You know, the Bible encourages that we live in a mystery. Paul says that we live in a mystery. Does that mean that we shouldn't try to solve the mystery? No. Every day we get up and we try to solve the mystery, right? But we have to also know that it's our obligation to try to solve it because God tells us that, but we will never fully solve it, both in science and in the Bible. But we keep learning. We keep growing. That's what God calls us to. Great. Thanks. Okay. Uh, can one believe in God and agree with a the theory of evolution? Well, here's, here's, and this came up in the first service too. When you say the word evolution, it means all kinds of things to all kinds of people. Richard Dawkins would say that an understanding of the theory of evolution would, would basically drive you to atheism. 
Okay? That's and some people hear that. Some people hear the word evolution. Say, ah, okay. Atheism. Uh, I don't, and there's a bunch of people who don't hear that. Uh, we we I think we all can agree that we change. Right? We change over time. I mean, do you when you look in the mirror, do, do you see the same face staring back at you that you saw 30 years ago? Does anybody's? Because if you do, we want to know about it. <laughs> we want to know that you have not changed and you've not evolved in some way. The Bible is not saying that things have been static and that there's been there's been no change. The Bible's not saying that. And all the scientific data that we have, it shows that things have been things have been changing. Now, does that mean that we fully buy in? I alluded to this earlier, into what Darwin said about this one common ancestor and this very slow progression. The fossil record does not agree. That's scientific data. It does not agree. Darwin himself knew that. So we have more to learn. We have more to learn. Did I? That, that's great. Uh, speaking of fossil records, uh, did dinosaurs exist? Man, we got that same question in the first service. I have no idea. Next question. <laughs> How can the church prevent being torn apart by the next scientific discovery in genetics or physics or human behavior? Yeah, that, 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 that's a great question. Now, that's where I want to go back to Galileo for a minute, okay? Because the general feeling is after the Galileo Inquisition that somehow we came out of that and Galileo was trying to say that the Bible's not true, um, don't believe in God, or the Bible's all messed up, or this whole thing, and he had this massive problem in the church. That's completely incorrect. And somehow we walked away from that. That whole Galileo Inquisition was not driven solely by science. It, it, a lot of politics were involved there. Galileo was friends with the Pope, and Galileo had done something to embarrass the Pope, who was already in a very tight situation. Now, uh, what was concluded in that whole Galileo Inquisition there was Galileo, it was, we came out, the church came out and said this, is that, we can't reinterpret the Bible every time some new piece of scientific data comes along, which is unproven. Did I make sense what I said? So scientific data is coming all the time. So 1950s, Miller experiment. Oh, we, we got the building blocks of life. One decade later, we're like, oh, we got it wrong. So we have to be careful at how quick we are. We hear something, and we get information all day long. That's it. One of the blessings of the world we live in and one of the curses is that we get information so quickly. And that's why I gave you that uh, Stephen Sample quote from last week, the president of USC. Don't believe everything you hear immediately. Give yourself some time before you're like, oh, this is it, concrete. Try it out. What was the original question? How can the church prevent being torn apart by the next scientific yeah, discovery? We, we need to be patient with that because science is changing. Talk about evolution. Science is evolving every single day with information that's coming out. And we just, we, uh, maybe I already said this. Galileo said, and I, I think I already said this. I don't, it's hard between the two services. What have I said? What have I, haven't I said? But he said that we... we through scientific study, we will be able to uphold the literal interpretation of the Bible. That was Galileo who said that. So we need to keep pursuing science because it's through science that we gain a greater understanding of God and his word. So if you're scientific, please keep going all the way with that. All right. There are billions and billions of stars. What are the odds that we have the only planet that's... Uh adaptable for life. So kind of 
you know, there's what, what are the chances that we're alone? What, what are the chances that we're alone in the universe? No idea. Next question. Figure, throw him the alien question. I'm not an expert on science or theology. What do I tell my kids? Okay. Um, first of all, that book I flashed up on the screen, Who Made the Moon? I want to strongly encourage you to get that book. When I first started reading that book, Who Made the Moon? This is a guy who, uh, he's a writer himself. He got interested in this subject, and he uh, thought he was going to, he has two young girls, and he wanted to write the book for them. So I thought, this is kind of the... This is going to be a little bit too elementary. I'm not going to enjoy it. Oh, I wildly enjoyed that book. Like, I've got writing all over that book. It's unbelievable, all the marking that I've done. It. Excellent, excellent book. Who Made the Moon? Sigmund Roman, whatever his name like, uh, right there. Highly encourage you to get that book and, and, and to read it. because it's, And that's all I'm going to say on that. So if you want to know what to say to your kids, get that. I think you'll find it fascinating. There's other stuff out there by, like, Ryan and I got together. We were talking about Stephen Hawking and his book, A Brief History in Time. And... Uh, I got it on tape, and I listened to it, and I'm like, oh, I, he got a paragraph in, and I had no idea what was going on. So it's just really, really deep. But that's, that, that is, that's good. It's understandable. And if you're, like, really super smart, you can get Hawking stuff. Um, and also Gerald Schroeder, which I mentioned earlier in connection with Anthony Flew, The Science of God. But uh, as a parent, uh, I'd start out with Who Made the Moon. All right. And I think we're pretty much down to our, our last couple here. Um, why do you think so many Christians condemn science? Um, the, the, now, this, this is something everybody, the, did you hear the question? He said, why do so many Christians, why does the church, well, why, what's with the condemning of science? I tried to touch on that briefly last week with this whole idea where God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, and not to say, not that, not that that's a total knock against that whole idea, okay? Because that's about faith. And I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, science and theology have the same methodology, they have the same methodology. And what is that methodology? It's facts, it's logic, it's reason, and it's hypothesis. Hypothesis. What do we call that in theology? We call that faith. What do you call that in science? We call it hypothesis. It's an educated guess. We're doing our best. We don't know for sure. And both of them have to have that in order to function. So what's happened to us whether, you know, you know, pointed Galileo, that whole inquisition and our misunderstanding of the history of that, our misunderstanding of our Christian roots leading up to the early 1900s when the fundamentalist papers came out and the social climate of America was changing and people said, let's go back to the roots and the way we were. They had a total ignorance of what the true roots were of the Christian church. I, I know I said this one earlier, you know, the whole give me that old time religion thing that came out, right? That was the most popular song. It was an ignorance of the history of the church. The church was on the front of the bus when it came to science. The greatest scientists were people of the church. The guy, Lemaitre, I think I failed to say this in this service. Lemaitre, the guy that went to Einstein and Einstein said, you know what, you're an idiot. You're, you're an idiot. The, the universe did not have a starting point. The universe is eternal. You know who Lemaitre was? A Jesuit priest talking to the smartest guy on the planet at that time. And the guy says, oh, my God, you're totally right. He's a Jesuit priest. So what do we do? What do we do to change that? And we, you know, we do what Francis Collins is talking about here. We say, you know what, this doesn't need to be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and somehow you get all up in arms when somebody wants to start talking science, well, you need to, you need to deal with yourself. 
You need to get control of yourself. You need to get yourself into God's word, the Bible, and realize what it is calling us as followers of Jesus Christ to do. To be ready to give an answer to the hope that is within you. What's your answer? The Apostle Paul answered the question with logic and reason. Augustine, our greatest theologian, answered the question with logic and reason. How do you answer it? Oh, just because. Oh, I believe in Jesus because. That's why. I just, I just believe. Well, you want to be a follower of Christ according to God's word, according to the Christian tradition, according to our roots in history. It's got to be more than that. Does that make sense? Is that too abrasive? I mean... I'm just, those are just kind of the, the facts as best I can see them. Is that, I, I, is that it? That's you great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can make up questions if you want. <laughs> you can make up one. No. Okay. <laughs> no. no. Well, we, yeah. Would God trick us? This is from the earlier service. Uh, would God trick us by giving us misleading scientific evidence? No, because everything that we have that is revealed about the nature of God through God's word and through creation is that God's not trying to play with us, not trying to, not trying to trick us, that he's, he's given us clues. You know what? Somebody made a great statement uh, to me on, on the way out because the church really has taken this kind of oppositional view to science. Not all, not all the church. Let's be clear. I'm just saying some. And then the media likes to jump on that, right? You all know the media likes to jump on anything that's inflammatory. So then the media might jump on it because that sells copy and says, you know, this thing is going on here and there's this big battle. So it's probably larger than what it is because, like I said, 40% of American uh, scientists believe in a personal God. Not just God, but they believe in a personal God. So, um, so somebody said to me on the way out, they said, you know what, the church has taken such a back seat on this scientific issue over the past couple of decades that God has turned the scientist into his greatest evangelist. Our scientific knowledge is absolutely exploding. And so much of that evidence, it just like, it's like the guy out at the airport when you're on a runway when they're trying to get the planes to, it's like, go. It's, it's, it's pointing towards God. That's just, that's facts. That's not John the pastor. That's just the, and if you have facts different, I'd love, I'd love to hear it because I've been knee deep in this for weeks. So, um, what was the original question? Trick us. No, he wouldn't trick us. That would be inconsistent with what we read from Scripture. All right. How about a hand for Ryan Brackett? Good man. Good man. I want to say, we're going to have communion, so I'm going to ask those that are serving communion, can you come up? And I just want to say this one final thing as the music team and, the, and those serving communion come up. It's a final thing, and I've already said it earlier. I want to restate it again. These past weeks of my life when I've just been given so much of my time and energy studying something that is not my background, you know, what, whatsoever at all, has been one of the greatest faith-building exercises I have done in a long, long time. Studying what science is telling us about God has been a massive faith-builder for me. If you need a boost to your faith, if you need something to, like, kickstart it, I would highly encourage you to get some of these resources I threw up on the screen and to read it and think about the impact that has upon your faith in God. Two final things. Again, I can't say this enough. The Bible of ancient pieces of literature, the Bible has unparalleled reliability. Point blank, that's just simple fact. Secondly, the 
facts of science as we continue to study more, particularly with the explosion of what we've learned recently in the last 40 years scientifically, does nothing but point us towards the evidence of God. And if you're a detective, you've got to really look at those. Now, for those of you who are you're all bought in, you're like, yeah, I believe it. You know what? You really need to think about how you communicate that to other people. We're not, in a, we're not trying to win a fight with other people. We're not trying to beat them up with evidence. Oh, you don't believe that? You're an atheist. How can you? That's crazy. You're an atheist. Stupid. You know, that, that is so much, so, so much. I, I want to come back. I said about this. I know I said I was going to close. I just got to say this last thing. When I see guys like Dawkins, when I talk to people like him, really goes back to the heart. A lot of times there's a wounding sometimes in somebody's life. And though the evidence is pointing them in one direction, their heart is saying, I will not go there because my heart has been wounded. It could have been wounded in many different ways, everybody. But we have to be very sensitive to that. All right. Um, so we're going to take communion this morning. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And then the band uh, is, is going to play a worship song for us. And when you feel like you want to, please come up and you'll take communion. You'll come down the aisle and then take communion and filter your way back. The prayer team's going to come up, and they're going to be here in the middle. And we're going to do what we've been doing for the past couple weeks. We're going to simply pray the scriptures over you. So if you have some, you know, need, you know, it's this or that, I'm struggling with this or that, just going to just pray, read the scriptures right over top of you that are topical according to whatever that is. Okay? It's a wonderful thing. God's word is, is, is powerful. So Jesus tells us that night of the Last Supper that he took a piece of bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body I'm breaking for you. And this is what we're getting ready to remember. He took a cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. I'm giving my life for you so you can experience life, purpose, meaning, and power. What a wonderful thing. As you, as you take this communion this morning, you know, the thing that got me so much is I finished that lecture series from John Hopkins, and this guy gave all this incredible information about science and religion. You know what he ended it on as his parting shot? Humility humility. Both the scientist and the theologian and the Christian need to approach life and study with a very humble heart. And what better time to talk about humility than the, than the observing of holy communion, where we humble ourselves for God. So I encourage you to humble yourself for God, whatever that means to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for your word and for your world. I thank you, Jesus, that you have come uh, lovingly came to this earth to show us the way to provide life and hope and peace. God bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for the honor and glory of your holy name. Amen.